All right. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Vanessa Carlisle. I'm Danny Cruz. I'm Dr. Vanessa Carlisle. You are. <laughs> and this is On the Dresser. On the Dresser is your bike weekly ish dose. Hey, of... it's 2018. We're bi weekly in 2018. All right. We're your bi weekly dose of sex, gender, culture, and politics, delivered by sex educators, sex workers, and queer people. We call our special brand of knowledge Edutitulation. <laughs> That is nice. It's nice to yeah. say it together, yeah. Yeah, so what is edutitillation? It's education, and we're not afraid to titillate you. For everyone who hosts this show, titillation is our business, and it is our it is our pleasure doing business with you. So we're coming from a sex worker rights perspective on most of the issues that we cover. We're coming from a queer perspective. We're coming from um, a you know, a perspective that says there's probably something going wrong if law enforcement is involved in the issue. Um, we're explicitly pro-worker on this show, and um, and we're sex positive, we're body positive, we're kink aware. Mm -hmm. There's like all of these buzzwords, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know what you're getting into if yeah. you're listening to us for the first time. Um, so... We usually get going with sort of sex news or headlines, we like to call them. Um, and today we're going to be talking about SESTA, which is... The Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. <laughs> it's a very clear command for everyone. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about this act because it is currently under review. It's getting... It's, it's garnering support um, in Congress right now, and it's going to affect not just sex workers, it's going to affect everyone's, mm -hmm. uh, everyone's internet experience in a major way. And so we're going to talk about that today. We have an interview with Chris Sardinia, yes. Executive Director of the Desiree Alliance, which is a, um, a national sex worker rights organization that hosts the largest conference of sex workers that happens in the U.S., so it's super cool educational episode for people who are interested in understanding how, you know, the sort of federal machinations on sexual content are functioning. The major concern of SESTA is trafficking. And so my I have this news story that I wanted to talk about. Um, so this was published in Newsweek in December, so just a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, I don't trust... Newsweek, particularly for their perspective. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a little more tabloidy. A little more tabloidy. Um, so the so I'm going to talk about this story partly in the in just talking about the issue of the story, what's actually happening. But also, I want to take a look at the language of the story mm -hmm. because the way that the story is getting reported reflects a lot of what we're seeing in the media about. Um, the, the confusion that people have around sex work and trafficking and what it means. Um, so the, t the headline is, Tech Bros Bought Sex Trafficking Victims by Using Amazon and Microsoft Work Emails. That's the jump off. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, um, anyone who is like works in sex worker rights uh, really opposes language that makes it sound like Sex work is the buying or selling of human beings. Mm -hmm. um, trafficking is the buying and selling of human beings, right? But sex work itself is not the buying and selling of human beings. So when we conflate those two things, we get confusion. Um, they're also claiming that these were all human trafficking victims because the federal definition of all sex work is that it is trafficking. Mm -hmm. But most sex workers... Um, would really like to be able to define for ourselves whether we're victims or not, whether we've been victims of trafficking or whether we're independent workers. So we don't actually know from that headline whether the tech bros were purchasing services from trafficked people or mm -hmm. not. We actually don't know because from our perspective, there are real trafficking victims. From the federal government's perspective, anyone involved in a sex work transaction is a trafficking victim, right. and we take issue with that. So that's confusing to begin with. Um, so they start out by basically saying, you know, 
tech has the tech world has a bad reputation for the way that it treats women anyway. We know this is true because mm-hmm. there's like not a lot of women in positions of power. There's lots of reports of women getting harassed and hating their office cultures and all of that. But emails obtained by Newsweek reveal another sordid corner of the tech sector's treatment of women. A horny nest of prostitution hobbyists at tech giants Microsoft, Amazon, and other firms in Seattle's high-tech alley. So this whole case is happening in Seattle. Uh, there's, you know, been a lot of um, tech industry moving to Seattle. And so this this story is about some people who are getting busted by uh, the cops for using their work emails to solicit sex online. The problem with this is that getting someone to use their work email is a screening procedure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel safer knowing that the person is a real person who works mm-hmm. at a real place. Right. <laughs> Especially if that place is Amazon and not, say, the local King County Sheriff's Department. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or any other uh, maybe governmental agency. Although, you know, we get a lot of clients from those places too, but it's a little jarring when you see like a city email coming back to you mm-hmm. um, versus like an Amazon.com email where you're like, oh, this guy's in tech. Obviously, he has some extra cash to spend. Maybe Most likely he's going to be, uh, if he's already emailing you on this work email, he's going to be serious about a transaction mm-hmm. or you know, an interaction of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a little comforting is the wrong word. Um, it feels a little more secure yeah. when you're getting a work email from someone mm-hmm. or a, a communication via work email. Right. Except not for these people. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, not if you work in Amazon or Microsoft. So it's interesting because they targeted review boards where, um, you know, and a lot of, even sex workers will say, like, review boards suck for us. <laughs> they feel bad. Um, you know, it's where people write mean and terrible things about sex workers. Mm-hmm. It's where they write misogynist things. It's what, you know. Yeah, even if they're trying to shed a good light, sometimes it's, I mean, inter- it's just a terrible thing. It's just gross. Right. Yeah, like there's something dehumanizing about them. And so I'm not defending review boards. I don't, I don't have any, I got no stake in review boards. But I do know that any place where sex workers can interact with each other online mm-hmm. is a place where we can be safer. So to target review boards does sort of, um, it, it, it does take away one of these particular places where sex workers can see oh this guy's been you know uh he's been a client for five years Mm -hmm. he's seen all these other people let me call her let me call that one up and see if she's had an okay experience with him Mm -hmm. so you can get information from the review boards that can be very helpful to you for staying safe so targeting review boards targeting the online uh marketplaces like backpage and craigslist This is why sex worker rights advocates say that that's a bad thing for sex workers is because it's places where sex workers can get information. Clients can get information, too. Cops Mm -hmm. can get information, too. You know, but it's important for us to be able to see, like, oh, okay, this person has posted more than once. This person has, has, you know, this background. Anyway. Yeah, the story is totally confusing. Bizarrely, there's a picture of Grace Marie, who is... um, a dominatrix in LA, <laughs> like, the, like she's not a sex trafficking victim, mm-hmm. nor is she an Asian worker, which is the focus of this story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a totally weird, like, why do they even have that? It's, it's because she has red high heels on. That's why. They put the yeah. picture on there. It looks like, like a stock photo of... Hooker feet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. here's some sexy feet for the story. Right. Uh, so it's just bad, you know, there's a lot of bad reporting going on here. But anyway, so... This is the part that's really difficult for me. These emails, so emails coming from these accounts, Amazon accounts, Microsoft accounts, are among hundreds fired off by employees at major tech companies hoping to hook up with trafficked Asian women. So they've made it sound like the guys who are who are soliciting, who are who are trying to find a provider, they make it sound like they're explicitly looking for mm-hmm. Trafficking victims. Like, I want a girl who is afraid for her life, in debt, getting beat up, who's going to let me do anything to her. Right. They're making it sound like that's the culture of provider-client relationship. And there's a 
an added layer when they're using Asian as a lead-in mm-hmm. of this like racist slash xenophobic. Um, they can't protect themselves anyway. Like there's an extra level of helplessness yes. added to a young Asian female mm-hmm. um, in this in the stereotype in the stereotype yes. of being trafficked because they don't know better. It's a different culture. It's a different place. A different language. Like there's an extra. And it's still, and it's maybe still a little bit respectable because you don't hear about migrants from other um, places, like if uh, Middle Eastern migrants that come in and do the sex trade, because that's harder to sell, mm-hmm. right? Than in, uh, a young Asian girl, a delicate Asian girl that's lost. That's a trafficking things. victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, we know from um, you know a lot of the sociological work that's been going on in the last few years. We know that. Uh, you can check out a book called Cosmopolitan Sex Workers. Um, we know that there is a large circuit for women, especially from Southeast Asia, to do uh, like sex work in, in a lot of the major major cities. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like to go from Tokyo to Bangkok, you know, and like do and do these circuits. And that actually migrant women doing sex work and having a layer of protection and language translation isn't necessarily a pimp or exploitative relationship. That that's actually something that a lot of migrant women choose to do is to figure out a situation where they can get that money, you know, go to a country where they know they're going to be fetishized. That's part of the market. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to go to this place where I'm going to be fetishized. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get that money, you know, and I'm going to use this white dude with an iPhone to broker my deals (laughs) and he'll get a cut and everyone will be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there actually is a way in which some of these relationships are, um, like, you know, for the person involved in them, they're like legit business arrangements. But according to law enforcement and the instant we start getting reporting on these things, it's like, Nope, there was a pimp. There was a trafficking victim. There was right. And so we don't hear the voices of the workers in this story at all. Like we have no idea if these women that were getting um, were getting these solicitation emails from Microsoft and Amazon, we don't know anything about whether these women were legit trafficking victims who you know require some services at this point, mm-hmm. or if they were sex workers who are like, ah, damn it, they went after my tech dudes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's a really different situation. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, a lot of this story stems from the takedown of um, the ReviewBoard.net in Seattle. And there were some uh, connected forums, which one of them was like kgirldelights.com. And another mm-hmm. one was, I think, just kgirls.com. Um, and so through this raid, uh, they've been able to go through their their different records, transactional records, online uh, email records. And that's how they're able to find these these tech guys. They're like, oh, we see a lot of, sure to see a lot of Amazon and Microsoft email addresses. There must be something there. Mm-hmm. Um, this scenario was kind of the backlash that we had that the male escort community braced for, but never saw come to fruition after the rent boy raid. We were terrified that the, um, Homeland security would then like kind of divvy up all this information that they found distributed to state or local enforcement agencies. And then we would see, um, either sting uh, type scenarios or other ad- action come from that based on the information that they got. Um, that hasn't been true after Rent Boy yet, um, but it looks like that was what what these investigations stemmed from is the takedown of those mm-hmm. those review boards in Seattle. Well, weren't you saying that there you have friends who are seeing a lot more stings happening with Rent Boys? Mm-hmm. That that's actually that Rent Boys are actually feeling that burn a little bit of. of of arrest being more possible? People in male escorts, um, yeah, maybe not necessarily that have been connected to Rent Boy, but just okay. in general, um, do our feeling the heat. We're seeing, like, I personally have seen more uh, phone numbers come across my text threads that um, when I apply my screening tactics, um, I see other people have flagged them as law enforcement before me. Wow. Um, yeah. I've had more a couple of more friends which is you know going through seven years in the sex industry not having any other male friends that you know have contact with law enforcement to go into two in a year yeah that have been 
arrested in separate operations um, is a little jarring. It feels like, oh, they're, they're paying more attention. Something's changed. It used to be there was an ick factor. I'm putting that in air quotes, this ick factor of law enforcement doesn't go after male sex workers because they don't want to deal with that, like... Because they're homophobic. They're homophobic, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, we're seeing that disappear a little bit, um, where we're no longer protected by that. Right. Um, and we're, they're focusing a little more attention on male sex workers than just females in the industry. Which is really twisted because of the way that the, the rhetoric around sex trafficking requires a kind of um, idealized victim mm-hmm. who is a young, vulnerable woman, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the, that's the ideal sex trafficking victim for, for the narratives that they're using um, to bolster all of these new laws. And so given that the Department of Justice will not even allow you to use terminology about sex work, you have to use terminology that that is obviously trafficking terminology, mm-hmm. prostituted women, right? Mm-hmm. Prostituted the, men doesn't have, carry that as much weight as prostituted women when right. we're talking about identity politics. Right. And and male prostitute, <laughs> who, who's, who's not in trouble, you know, who's only in trouble with the cops that that are targeting, are like, that's not even a category. Like, that's not even, there's no space in the dialogue for that. Mm-hmm. So to know that simultaneously law enforcement is targeting male sex workers more and also refusing to speak of them mm-hmm. is really frustrating. Um. Anyway, so this this Newsweek story is there's two people who are going to go up for trial. Um, there's an Amazon person, a director at Amazon, and a director at Microsoft who are going to opt for a trial. The trial date is not until March of this year, so we'll come back to this story and see what happened. Um, but you know this this piece has some really interesting stuff in it because of course they do sort of go after the review board and talk about how gross they are, which you know, all right, fine. Um, but then they call sex workers so-called sex workers and mostly trafficking victims, and um, you know there's no room there's no room in this story for there to be uh, the voice of a sex worker saying actually I was fine and. You know, that that tech customer was a really nice guy and it worked out really well. And, you know, like that narrative just isn't even in there. We'll we'll end on a we'll end on a lighter note with it. Okay. (laughs) I just love this. Um, So Amazon informed Newsweek that it is investigating the matter Mm -hmm. and provided this statement by email. Amazon's owner's manual clearly states that it is against Amazon's policy for any employee or contingent worker to engage in any sex buying activities of any kind. In Amazon, in Amazon's workplace, or in any work-related setting outside the workplace, such as during business trips, business meetings, or business-related social events. So, <laughs> so if any of your clients work for Amazon, it's technically against their policy for you to go on your work trip with them. Yeah, don't go on a work trip, don't go to an Amazon business company party, you know, don't answer emails from their Amazon account because Amazon has decided that, you know, it's really important that their employees know that any sex buying of any kind, that's just like a funny way to phrase it, like any sex buying of any kind. (laughs) Anyway. So that means you can't even like... The language tickles me. Google your pocket pussy on your break at Amazon. God damn it. (laughs) Okay. All right. So Newsweek, people are getting busted. Um, We will continue to talk about that case and see what comes up. So let's get on to the SESTA show. Yeah. um, I wanted to bring this up because I I see, I've seen this bill for the last year make its way through Congress with not a lot of buzz, not a lot of fanfare around it. In the Senate, the bill is known as the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, um, or SESTA for short. Uh, a similar bill is running through the House of Representatives right now, and that one's called Allow States to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. They call that one FOSTA for short, Fight Online Sex Trafficking. Right now, according to GovTrack.us, um, which kind of is a way, f- a portal for people to keep track of these bills without having to go through the government web- website, rates this as having a one in three chance of passing and getting signed into law. The Senate version, SESTA, has 61 co-sponsors right now. Um, 28 of those are Democrats. 
and the house version has 173. How many does it need? It would need a majority to pass. There's like 400 and some odd senators, uh, excuse me, um, representatives in the house. Okay. So it still needs about another 40 or so to get a majority. But the but the support seems to be growing. The support is both growing and bipartisan. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So when we're talking about 61 senators right now... Um, with other actions, like when we're talking about the tax bill, when we talk about 50 senators, those are all 50 Republican senators when we talk about the Senate having a majority. Got it. This uh, 60 includes 28. So we don't even have all the Republican senators behind this yet. Um, but if it were to be called to a House or to a vote on the Senate floor, it would most likely pass. Okay, and what the hell is it? So. The uh, the goal of both of these bills is to repeal a section of the law that was enacted back in 90, 1996 when the internet was still young. Um, it was known as the Communications Decency Act. Um, the Electronic Freedom Foundation and other organizations think it's the most important law that governs the internet. It was passed kind of on a similar track where back in the early 90s or in the mid-90s, um, Congress people had caught on to this internet sex panic where they viewed the internet as being a future red light district. Like uh, James Exxon, who was a senator from Nebraska, uh, when he introduced this bill, the Communications Decency Act, he, he called the internet a red light, a thriving red light district. He viewed, Woo! he thought that <laughs> 86% of all images on the internet at the time were pornographic images. And Senator Exxon had no actual experience with the internet. Like, his staffers had gone on record saying, like, he doesn't use the internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, no. I've never gotten an email from the guy. I don't know what's going on <laughs> <Right>. here. <laughs> what, um, what 86 images did he look at? <laughs> so he, so he, it was very much a, a hysteria thing at the time right. of, like, we're saving children from the horrors of online, right. you know, right. sex. Right. So now, 20 years later... Clearly, we saved no children from watching any porn. <laughs> right. Well, since that um, initial Communications Decency Act was enacted, its major parts of it have been shredded apart by the um, Supreme Court because it censored internet speech way harsher than it did other forms of media like television mm. or radio. Like even the seven dirty words that at that time had already been protected by the um, Pacifica Supreme Court case, um, in which it held that, you know, you can say these thing, these words, um, after a certain time and they, you know, the Safe Harbor Act came out of that. Um, it kind of trampled on all that and said, like, even that is prohibited on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so right after Bill Clinton signed it into law in 96, like, there were a lot of legislative actions that tore the basic foundation of it down, like the indec indecency, let's say, the children part, but kept this really important um, piece that that uh, is referred to as Section 230 of okay, that so, code. So now we're talking about, okay, so Communications Decency Act overall uh, came out of the sex panic about the new internet. Right. However, it had a section in it, Section 230, that did something to protect what? Um, so what Section 230 uh, did was it protected internet platforms and internet companies from liability for what their users post. So uh, okay. CDA Section 230 reads, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So in English, that means that websites that are platforms for third-party material... Like Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, Wikipedia, Yelp. Um, they are not responsible for what their users post. So right. any tweets I make, that's my speech. Yeah. And if I say um, something harmful or something illegal, I'm responsible for that. But... Twitter is not. Right. And they're not responsible for moderating or doing much to okay. it. Okay. All right. Okay. So that was, that is an, a really important thing because it means that, you know, when we go on Twitter as, like, let's say 
I go on Twitter, and not on my sex work account, but on my uh, personal account, my Vanessa Carlisle account, and I post something about queer something, this or that, that if there's, like, a parent who doesn't like that I'm teaching their child and also talking about queer issues, mm-hmm. they ca- they have to go after me directly. They can't go after Twitter right. for that. Mm-hmm. And you're mostly protected by First Amendment. Yeah. Um, the uh, Where this has been the biggest thorn in the sides of people in Congress right now is uh, in the context of Backpage.com. Um, right, since 2016, there's been a lot of senators, uh, mostly headed up by Senator Rob Portman and Claire McCaskill, that have been after the website for allegations of facilitating online sex trafficking. Um, a year ago, the website was left with no choice but to censor its adult ads after being called to multiple Senate hearings and even having their um, their CEO and other shareholders arrested and charges filed by uh then California Attorney General Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, after the that arrest of the CEOs, Backpage issued a statement on behalf of the defendants calling the charges an election year stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, Kamala Harris was eventually elected to the Senate. Um, mm-hmm. And they didn't view the their arrest of under pimping charges as a good faith act for, by law enforcement. Um, in their defense, they invoked both the First Amendment... Um, saying that they their platform had First Amendment protections. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they invoked protections under this internet law. Under, under Section 230. Under Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act. Okay. In fact, they've used, they've invoked that as a defense a total of four times to avoid third-party liability for just their adult ads. Okay. So, SESTA comes in mm-hmm. stopping it comes in to say actually never mind we're gonna hold that third party accountable mm-hmm. for what gets posted on their site is that the uh, is that the upshot of this absolutely okay yeah that's that's where sesta comes in um it's been they've had such a hard time prosecuting Backpage because they're invoking protections under this internet law that now they're saying, well, we're going to go after that internet law. Why don't we go ahead and change that law so that we can bust everyone who's ever had an adult ad on their site. Right. And so we can go after sex workers on Twitter, and so we can go after, right? And, and of course, the way that they're framing it is trafficking. Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to find the bad guys. Right. Because there's, that's the narrative, that Mm -hmm. there's, that there's this, like, enormously large world of pimps and corrupt brothel managers and right and of course there are people who are getting trafficked of course there are there is like there there are people getting kidnapped and raped and forced and coerced Mm -hmm. and um so what we're critiquing here as we do this i just it just feels like we have to be really clear about this like Mm -hmm. what we're critiquing here is not like there's no trafficking like Mm -hmm. there is trafficking and there are communities in which trafficking is a much larger problem than others. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the law enforcement agenda is guided by an ideology that does not have independent sex worker voices as part of it. So, like, they don't believe in us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't believe we're real. Mm-hmm. But not only do they not believe we're real, they don't think our needs are important. Right. And so all of the agendas here are about... Um, a, a victim population that is, as far as we can tell, much smaller than the numbers that they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that later on, Chris Sardinia in, in, in this episode is going to talk about that, holding anti-trafficking organizations accountable for their numbers because mm-hmm. they use a lot of numbers that have been either debunked mm-hmm. or aren't substantiated. So we have law enforcement saying, stop trafficking, and we're going to go after the websites to stop all the trafficking. But, you know, as far as I can tell, what that does is harms a lot of independent sex workers, Mm -hmm. makes it a lot harder for us to get our screening tactics to work, makes it harder for us to connect with safe, good clients, Mm -hmm. and that the people who are actually victims of trafficking are about as likely to be saved as they ever were. Right. Which is... Not so much. Well, what stuck out to me when I first started seeing um, articles on SESTA um, and about this like legislation that they're, they were forming was that immediately it was all 
tech blogs and tech adjacent people writing about this and calling an like kind of sounding an alarm to it. Mm -hmm. Um, the electronic freedom foundation, which has been the biggest outspoken critic of it, um, says that section two thirty is important and that rather than face potential liability for their users actions, most websites would likely not host any user content at all. Or they would need, they would feel the need to protect themselves by being actively engaged in censoring what we say, what we do, and what we see online. Right. So we would see a form of censorship that wasn't directly coming from the government, which is what we think of when we think of basic censorship. Mm -hmm. It would be like a a next, a next level censorship based on, we're not going to publish your shit because we think it might violate, you know, we might, it might violate these, these, these These laws, Mm -hmm. um, obscenity laws, probably for some of them, lewd acts, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's all kinds of laws for governing what people are going to post as far as their sexual content. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it kind of expands that, um, like right now, like Backpage has a set of words that they filter out. Right. Um, think of SESTA as expanding that. Like that would be kind of the 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 point from where censoring starts from. Like yeah. if and if your tweet or your you know YouTube video or whatever has this content in it and it could be construed as sex trafficking. Yeah. Like that's a reason for your content to be censored or taken down. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of this sort of um, absurd levels of. Uh, of of sex panic that have to occur mm-hmm. for young people like 14 15 year old people who are texting each other sexy pictures to get busted for trafficking themselves mm-hmm. which is happening c- currently i just read a story about this mm-hmm. happening it's like what level of insane sex panic do you have to be in for you to bust a young person under a trafficking law for sending something sexy to their boyfriend or girlfriend right like, or having a whoa, whoa. A, a federal um, what is it child pornography mm-hmm. like sending child pornography when they're both underage yeah like they're sending to each other right yeah um yeah th- and that's a lot that's a lot of content to moderate like Twitter alone three hundred and forty million tweets a day that's adding extra lawyers and personnel to go through and screen all the content hours of YouTube films, mm-hmm. you know, videos that get uploaded every minute to YouTube. Like somebody ha- would have to go and moderate that stuff. And that's why these tech companies are worried. Cause they're like, well, section two thirty was put in there for the internet to thrive so yeah. that information and ideas could, could have move. Could yeah. move and have a, yeah. a place. Um, without that protection, there's going to be no incentive for these um, internet platforms to keep going, hosting content. Um, It is also interesting that alongside this trafficking rhetoric, um, talk about Section 230 of the the Communications Decency Act also uh, was used when talking about um, the the targeted ads by the Russian government on social media sites Mm. to interfere with voters. Um, So they're they're selling this propaganda in two different ways. It's like internet sex panic, but also like red scare panic. Like we Um, need to get rid of this law for the good of everything. Yeah. I mean, it's so intense to have this happening. Like meanwhile, we're seeing an incredible change in the way people do write and talk about sexuality on the internet. Like Mm -hmm. Teen Vogue publishing a guide to anal sex that was like really careful, smart, good, (laughs) clear Mm -hmm. information about how to have safe and enjoyable anal sex and people freaking out about it. But they they published it. They put it up. It was was available. Mm And to know that that's occurring and, and, and that meanwhile the forces of censorship and repression are coming in so hard mm-hmm. and so quietly. Mm-hmm. Like this is happening very, very quietly. Like you said, the people who are resisting it are in the tech sector. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing like, you know, any big news stories about the uproar. I mean, net neutrality is a major issue. Mm-hmm. And this is part of this larger question of like, mm-hmm. how does the internet function for us now? How will how will it function for us? What are our rights? What are our rights around the internet, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really crazy question because people are so used to being able to just put something up. Like it's an enormous community bulletin board on YouTube. You just go ahead, put your shit up there, right? Mm-hmm. 
If you're used to that being your method of being on the internet and all of a sudden someone's telling you, first of all, you got to pay to even have YouTube. That's your net neutrality question. Then you, you have to have whatever content you're going to put up there reviewed by a moderator before mm-hmm. it even goes up and we're going to tell you if it's too sexy. Right. <laughs> like, and, whoa, that's and a whole new world. <laughs> and essentially, the Electronic, Electronic Freedom Foundation was also making the argument that somebody's going to have to pay for those moderators, those lawyers, to come in there and make sure that your yeah. speech is up to whatever law. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could that cost could be passed on to consumers. So in, essentially, you're paying to have your free speech up on the Internet. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well... Thanks for that introduction. I'd, I'd love to hear what Chris Sardinia has to say about it. Yeah, I, I called her to get her, her take on it. So here's that. Enjoy. Do you want to start by uh, introducing yourself for me? I'm Chris Sardina. I am the director of Desiree Alliance. We're a national sex worker rights organization that is political in nature and we mostly work on the federal level, and we also have uh, biannual conferences, the largest sex worker conference in the United States. Yeah, we uh, had a report on our podcast about uh, the last one in... Uh, I listened to it. Yeah. Yep, I uh, listened to it. It was good. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, we're talking on this episode about uh, SESTA and net neutrality. So um, tell us how this current uh, this current bill, SESTA, uh, kind of relates to even the Patriot Act. Like, how did that line get drawn? It says it stems directly from the Patriot Act. Um, Section 3 of the 300, and I think it's 300 and some pages of the Patriot Act, gave the government, gave citizens absolutely no rights for search and seizure, for, um, you know, telephone conversations, although mm-hmm. there's been big big, um, you know, phone companies that are are fighting that. But at the same time, the Patriot Act opened it up for everything to follow in, in, you know, as far as technology goes. It was to once Mm -hmm. again, you know, the new war that's ramping up, which is the sex trafficking war. Right. Um, So where where does Desiree Alliance stand on on, uh, the the SESTA Act? what is it? Stop Enablers of Sex Trafficking Act. <laughs> yeah, it's a long one. Basically, what it does is it just changes some of the language. It's mm-hmm. the same bill as the SAVE Act, only the language, some of it's been excluded in this new one to um, open it up for more retaliation against online providers mm-hmm. and um, give the states more opportunity to fuck you in any way possible. I wrote every one of the co-sponsors on that particular day um, mm-hmm. of the SESTA Act, as, as well as a letter and our um, joint sex worker rights statement that we have against um, online policing. Um, so, you know, at that given time, there was 45 co-sponsors I just looked again a couple days ago and already, I think six, five or six have already signed on as co-sponsors. So now we've got almost 50 co-sponsors. Oh, wow. It's gaining a lot of support in, uh-huh. in Congress. What, uh, right. what, is, what did you tell these senators in, in the letter? There's, um, I just basically said, you know, the entirety of the World Wide Web is, you know, in in your hands, and and you know, you might want to rethink of the thing, rethink because this is every, this is going to affect every website with user content, you know, mm-hmm. that uses, that has user content on it. So it's not just you know Backpage or Craigslist or mm-hmm. Eros. Or what have you. This is this. You know, the first I think they're going to go after would be Twitter, because there's more adult content on it. And then you know, what's for them stopping the sacred Facebook um, right. website? You know, right. to say you know, because he's an ass kisser as well, Mark Zuckerberg or Zuckerberg or whatever the fuck his name is. But um, you know, he you know it's going to affect him too. You know, this is just going to anything with user content is going to be harmful 
to the the entirety of the world like web. I mean, they better right. think about what they're doing. What do you see happening uh, to um, not only your members, but just the World Wide Web in general if um, Congress passes us death? Well, what's going to happen is I could see this actually, you know, just like the Patriot Act, the U.S. played global cop, and, you know, once um, adult content providers go overseas, as a lot of them already have, but um, as they're being forced overseas or what have you, as well as individual providers, um, what's going to happen is it's going to trickle down to individual providers. It's going to um, – what's going to happen is the U.S., once once they all go overseas, they're going to say, hey, you're either with us or against us, the same propaganda they use for the Patriot Act. And if you mm. don't comply, if you don't comply, we're going to, you know, bully you and put you on the dreaded tier list of noncompliance mm. for sex traffickers. I could just see this going, going global, and it's Is not going to be a good outcome. When you say um, providers that go overseas, are you talking about sites like Eros that have already... Um, yep. started putting it. operations. Yep. Backpage, you know, refuses now to do U.S. Craigslist refuses to do the U.S. Um, as they're getting bullied and pushed out, you know, they're going to find other outlets to go to. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. What, whenever, you know, there's mm-hmm. going to be some other venue that people are going to go to. Right. I, I'm right now that you said that I'm, um, the site I use to advertise on, Rentman, is going through some massive changes with its wording, um, and it has recently, I mean, it's always been based in Belgium, but it has recently been pushing its rentman.eu web browser at everybody. Even when you sign on to the uh, the classic rentman.com page, it pushes you to the .eu. Things, are, this, this, things like this are really pushing people out of the United States, companies out. We met Eros, um, we met with Eros personnel when the SAVE Act first came out and they wanted mm-hmm. sex worker rights to back their play and the SAVE Act basically gave the government the right to go back 10 years in your records and without a fight it gave, you had to use your real name when, when getting an account use real credit cards, Bitcoin, and and other monetary um, ways were banned. You had to use a real credit card, and you had to show show your ID. And so all this was on record. So so for a while there, Eros looked like the Polaris Project um, website, you know. It had so much anti-trafficking stuff on it. I was just like I had to double check the double check <laughs> to see if I was even on Eros, you know. So I mean I, I see, you know, we couldn't back that because it was basically throwing sex workers under the bus, the very hand mm-hmm. that fed them. And so, you know, Eros wasn't willing to um Eros wasn't willing to help us at all. So they want, we just, you know, almost every sex worker rights leader at that table said, this is bullshit. No, we're not going to back this. But mm-hmm. we could let the say that passed anyway. So, I mean, I understand providers' concerns. I really do. Because they're the ones that are going to get it first. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also opens it up to individual privacy. And, you know, now mm-hmm. they have no no rights because the government can come in and grab their records. So I can see why Rentman put EU because that is just another way, a Band-Aid right now to, um, you know, to stop. So they won't, so they won't, you know, be convicted or or arrested or have Homeland Security come in and, you know, blow them out and yeah, with guns and, and masks and everything else. So, yeah, right. I can see their fear of the U.S. government because it's very real. What are you encouraging folks to do? Been writing my, I've been writing my senators. I, I, I'm not really sure because every day I look on the bill and there's more co-sponsors. Um, you know, I would encourage them to to become educated 
on the trafficking situation. I mean, you know, the intricacies of trafficking, um, you know, are so vast and so deep that it's impossible to understand trafficking from a poster or from, um, you know, the Polaris Project website or any website that that happens to save and rescue trafficking victims because, for one thing, the numbers aren't aren't collaborating together. You know, even the DOJ, uh, the Department of Justice website on their trafficking website says um, hundreds of thousands, I think more... 300,000 at any given time, at any, what does that mean at any given time? Um, you know, there's, that's not a conclusive number. Um, the Polaris Project even has the Coyote Rhode Island um, organization got Polaris to put um, an addendum um, in their, on their website of the average age of entry. So even they wow. don't agree with the average they they debunk it they say this is not true i mean you have the polaris project saying hundreds of thousands at any given time in the u.s um i live in arizona and there was a commercial on there and it has nothing to do with sex trafficking but it they were trying to um, um endorse getting children ids saying there's 2,000 children a day in Arizona that goes missing. Now, if there, you know, we did the math, we did the math, and it would take approximately like 12 years or something for every child, considering if no new children came in or you didn't give birth, that the state of Arizona would have no more children. We have to start holding these people accountable for their numbers and for their for their data and for their their written um I'd like to call it abuse because if you're reading that it it um hurts the public's right to know um because all we know is reading the Polaris project or some save and rescue you know not one more or these you know these police driven driven um Diversion programs, you know, that now mm-hmm. universities are getting involved and um, social workers. And, I mean, everybody's jumping on this anti-trafficking bandwagon, which makes right. the SESTA Act pass really fast and get, you know, by the time it's over next week, I probably would expect 60 to 65, possibly more co-sponsors on this bill and that nobody's really understanding the the problems that it's going to create on the World Wide Web. That's scary because that's the majority in the Senate. and that, uh, To that say the much, least, yeah. it's scary. Yeah. Um, well, how can people how can people find you um, and maybe sign on to the or can you still sign on to the letter? Uh, yeah, I. Um, okay. I post it all the time under um, Desiree Alliance on Twitter. Um, I ask people to retweet it, you know, or to pass it along. Um, I have it set to private so the aunties can't get in there and, um, you know, fuck it all up. So okay. we have over we have over 150 global individual and organization names that um, not necessarily are sex worker rights, but but view our point as spot on on how we um, view the World Wide Web and U.S. policing of it. So um, I post it on the Desiree. It's actually pinned on Desiree Alliance's Facebook website or a Facebook page, and mm-hmm. um, I have it on www.desireealliance.org the letter on there. So what they can do is um, they can email me at info at DesireeAlliance.org and I will gladly put their individual and or organization name on it. I'd be happy to do that. And then I go ahead and send it out to all the key players, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I send it to Rob Portman daily. Um, he's on Fox Television right now talking about the SESTA Act. And, of oh, really? course, they've got, yeah, right now. And, of course, they've got the mother of a victim of back page 
uh, trafficking, which in actuality, I think before Backpage got busted, that um, most of these websites, these with adult content, have things in place to to stop human trafficking. You know, they have mm-hmm. monitors, they have uh, red flags, they have um, they have uh, advertising or whatever you want to call it. They have uh, po you know, um, posters or whatever have you that say, and are you right. being trafficked? And yeah, so, you know, all made, this... Uh, advertises on Backpage in Los Angeles. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah. go. You know, so they, they have taken, you know, most of them are taking precautions because no one wants to see sex trafficking. No one. Right. I mean, not, well, you know, not in their right mind. Right. I, well, to hear Rob Portman uh, talk about it in the Senate hearings, those uh, things that these websites are doing, these monitors and these filters, um, are ways for people to skirt the law, not ways for people to catch or fight human trafficking. Exactly. But the very fear, I mean, if you look at some of these um, websites, I mean, just, just keyword in anti-trafficking posters, I mean, they all show stock photos of the, some of the same models of young, you know, pale white girls um, with a big black guy behind them with chains and and whips and she's cuddling a teddy bear all dirty and they've got women, you know, wrapped up in in meat packing with a barcode on it like in a supermarket and it's just like, you know, you see the horrors. This is where we need to hold hold these save and rescue and these government agencies that monitor trafficking, we need to hold them accountable because uh, if this is all you're seeing is posters and even in welfare offices, they have posters of an obscure looking woman of color in agony and now expecting people, you know, that, that are in welfare offices applying for, for state aid. Now you're, you're, they're expecting them to, um, Call in that 800 number because you're suspecting trafficking of maybe the poor, poor person sitting next to you. You know, it's just like we rely on the public and the public relies on, on correct information. And when we're not right. getting that, it instills fear. And this is how the fucking FESTA Act flies through with the SAVE Act, with the with the Wagner Act. I mean, it's just laws on top of laws on top of bad laws. When we already have laws in place on the Internet that protects people from being trafficked or, you know, we already have the Palermo Act, we have the SAVE Act, we have, you know, and, and what this does is it's just taken chunks out of, of our constitutional rights for freedom of speech, and it's going to be to the point where we don't have any type of protection against them, <laughs> against yeah. our own government. Anything else you'd like to say to our listeners while you got their ear on this issue, or on neutrality I just think, for that matter? I just think that you should um, become educated on trafficking, you know, mm-hmm. and, and really become educated. I encourage you to write... Um, every spot co-sponsor on that bill and tell them no. Um, you know, you can write, you can call. They've got so many calls right now from the healthcare people that they're not even taking names. And so that's what <laughs> I encourage you to do. Chris Sardina, uh, executive director of the Desiree Alliance. I, an amazing activist. I appreciate your time. Thank you for talking to me. You know, I love you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Man, I love Chris. <laughs> <laughs> She's always a joy to talk to. Like I'm so glad to get her her view with that. And with all the other news on like net neutrality and all in and everything that kind of uh, hung around the holidays and, yeah. and allowed this other story to kind of get swept under. Um, we just thought it would be best to bring you uh, all this information on the ways that these laws intersect with not just sex workers, um, but with the larger population. And hopefully, um, we've made that we've gotten to make that argument. We, I would like to urge everybody to 
you know, get involved and, and call call up the people in Congress, call your senators. Right now, the Senate has the best chance of passing the thing. Mm-hmm. Sixty-one co-sponsors out of hundred senators, yeah, is 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 a big majority. Um, and if you're a millennial and you don't want to make that phone call because that's the stereotype about your generation, <laughs> stereotypes <laughs> exist for a reason. <laughs> you can text. What is it? Resi- resist bot. Yeah, there's what? a service called Resist Bot. Yeah, to find out more, you can go to the website resist.bot. Um, there it will give you the, uh, instructions on how to do this by text. Um, you can also use the signal app, which is a secure communication channel, which I thought was kind of cool. It's how I sent mine. Um, it asks you for a few pieces of, of information so it can, uh, figure out who your, uh, representatives are. Um, but then you can, uh, go in there and text them a free form letter, uh, telling them, urging them to vote no on uh, both SESTA, the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act in the Senate. Um, If you want to get real specific, it's Senate Bill 1693 this year. Uh, And also vote no against FOSTA, the Allow States to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. That one's H.R. 1865 in the House of Representatives. Um, And it's a super easy way to uh, get in touch with those elective representatives. So yeah, so do do the thing, do do the do the call out because part of the reason why this isn't getting the kind of media attention that we might expect from it is that there isn't that kind of uh, community response. So, you know, I'm thinking also about like the women's march coming up mm-hmm. and the ways in which being uh, outraged about um, the treatment of women, the, co- the 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 confusion that people have when they're like, I'm for women. Doesn't that mean I'm against trafficking? Doesn't that mean that I should support something like SESTA? And it's like, I'm for women. I'm against trafficking. And one thing that I know is that lots and lots of women make their money in the sex industry. <laughs> And so to be able to protect those people, Mm -hmm. actually, you know, we have to we have to be more careful about how we read the news. We have to be more careful about what we're what we're voting for and how. And um, and it turns out that SESTA is actually really dangerous for a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily protect those trafficking Mm -hmm. victims either. Um, So, yeah. So do some do some work. Yeah, I want to leave you with one last point. Uh, Alexandra Levy uh, is someone who teaches human trafficking and human markets at Notre Dame Law School. Uh, And she wrote a paper um, that is on the, you can find it on the Social Science Research Network, SSRN. Um, It's called The Virtues of Unvirtuous Spaces. Uh, And in it, um, she argues that the current war on platforms like Backpage, who serve as uh, intermediaries, um, both between sex workers and their clients and also like that's a way that law enforcement uses to uh go after people in the sex trade and also in some cases find actual victims of trafficking she writes this quote the war on internet platforms is pageantry a kind of theater designed to satisfy people's need to identify and fight bad guys without regard or nuance to long-term outcome But from a tactical standpoint, it's more than a distraction. Censoring these platforms means forfeiting a resource that naturally facilitates the recovery of victims. So urge your senators to vote no because shutting down these websites doesn't actually free anybody from a trafficking situation if they are in one. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to ask us more questions, you can. You can email us at onthedresser.com at gmail.com. We love to hear your comments. We want to hear your ideas for episodes. We want to hear your feedback. Send us your questions and we'll try to answer them. Yeah, we are a podcast. So, you know, anybody with a smartphone, you can open up your recording app and ask us a question. And Yeah, you can shoot us a voice memo at onthedresser at gmail.com. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at onthedresser. You can follow me at V Carlisle. That's V, because my first name's Vanessa. And Carlisle, C A R L I S L E. You can find me on the Twitter at It's Danny Cruz. Uh, you can also find past episodes of our show on uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now Google Play. Yay. Yay! And if you do listen to us on any of these platforms, um, we're going to do the thing. We're going to ask you, please rate, 
please rate and review us. Um, we're, we're trying to build in 2018, and it really does help us get the word out when you rate and review on iTunes. And share. Yeah. Send us to a friend. Send us to a friend. Our production team is myself, Danny Cruz, Vanessa, excuse me, Dr. Vanessa Carlisle, <laughs> and Lauren Kiley. All our music uh, for this episode was produced by Lou Gomez. All right, y'all. All power to the people. All pleasure to the people. Good, good night, night and, and good, good fuck. fuck.